We want you to have a Bible, not just today, we want you to go along with us as we go through the word of God. I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see this is what God says because what's in his word is the only thing we can absolutely know is always truth. So, and you're welcome to keep that as a gift from the Lord. So you have his word every day of the week, not just today. And once you have it, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter five. I'm gonna get back to our, our verse by verse, line by line study through the book of Romans. And just to remind you guys, if you've been a couple weeks since we were here, um, we started, or we were in Romans 6 through 11 last time, and, and we they were in this transition chapter where Paul's now talking about the benefits of being saved. He's talked, talk, kind of spent the time up to chapter five talking about why we need to be saved and how we're saved, and now he's talking about here's why you wanna be saved, because here's the benefits. And the things we focused on last time were that, number one, you never have to doubt God's love for you. And some of those reasons that we talked about was because um, he shows his love to those who don't deserve it, okay? So that means every one of us is qualified. No matter how bad you think you are and, and how you're not deserving of God's love, well, that's who the Bible says. That's who God says in his word. He came to die for. Jesus, he sent Jesus to die for. So you qualify for his love. And... We also talked about how if he showed his love for you when you least deserved it, when you were still sinners, as Paul says, then surely now that you've been made right through your faith in Jesus, he loves you, right? It's another reason that you combat that like. The enemy wants you not to believe that God loves you. So that's how you combat it. And then the third thing we talked about was just that his presence, is, his love is ever present because the work of the cross has already happened, so that free gift of salvation and all the benefits of it are continually available to whoever believes in Jesus Christ, and that's the greatest demonstration of love you could have ever been shown, God sending his son to die in your place for your sin when you didn't deserve it. And so that, that example of his love is always there for you, amen? So that was the first benefit, that you never have to doubt God's love. And the second one, equally important, is that you've been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus forever, which means that you were at war with God when you were a sinner, but now that you've been forgiven, you're not. You're at peace with God. And the important thing to remember with that is that whenever we are fearful, like something bad is gonna happen to us, we're thinking we deserve to be punished for either bad choices we've made or something else, like you know, when you're facing adversity in life, but you never have to worry about that because God loves you and he's pleased with you because he sees his son in you. So you never have to worry that he's mad at you or you're gonna be punished. That punishment your sin deserved was placed on Jesus. So you are reconciled with him for all eternity through your faith in Jesus, amen? Those are important things, all right? So now we're gonna spend the rest of, uh, we're gonna go through the rest of Romans 5 and we're gonna see Paul talk about the next benefit of your salvation and that is how God has saved you from sin, all right? Important stuff. I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna read through this chapter, and actually, we don't do this all the time, but I think it's really good. Why don't you guys stand with me? Sometimes I think it's good when you're reading the word of God. You actually see this in the Old Testament whenever they'd come together to read the word of God. They'd stand up just to give it reverence that they acknowledge this is God speaking. So we're, just stand with me while I read through this section, and we'll pray, and we'll start going through it verse by verse. So this is Romans 5, verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, 
And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God in the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father God, such a rich section. So much important theological stuff to understand about sin. And Lord, it's, it's life-changing. This is the kind of stuff that sets us free from wrong thinking. So Lord, as we go through this, Father, would you minister it to us personally where we need to apply it in our lives. So often I, 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 can, I can believe what your word says, but my actions show that I don't really understand it. But Lord, we wanna be those that know or hear the word of God and obey it because that's where you said the blessing is, the happiness is. We have to understand it to be able to look to you to help us apply it. So Lord, may we... May you help us with that in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can take a seat. So starting in verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, what that one man he's speaking of is Adam. As we go through this, you're gonna kind of see that, okay? And it says, through sin came into the world through that one man, through Adam, and death through sin, or as sin came into the world, death was a result of that sin, and so death spread to all men, that word men, the Greek word user meaning men and women. So basically, it, it, what it's saying is that death spread to all humanity because all sinned. Or basically, sin came through Adam, it led to death for everyone, and everyone proved they were a sinner because they do what? They sin, okay? So Paul tells us the origin here in, in verse 12 of sin. Paul referencing the historical account of mankind's first sin against God which was with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. If you guys aren't familiar with it, go to it. You can read it. It's very self-explanatory. I don't have time for it today, but where Adam and Eve were in the garden, the first two people God created, and they're deceived by the serpent, who is Satan, to eat from the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that God said, don't eat from, right? You can eat from whatever else you want in here. This garden has everything you need don't eat from here. It's, it's not gonna be good for you. 
Adam's name in Hebrew, if you didn't know this, it means humanity, because basically all of humanity descended from him. And as such, the sin of all mankind starts with him, as verse 12 tells us. Paul telling us four consequences of Adam's sin in this section of scripture. So we're gonna go four, if you're a note taker, the first one is that sin came into the world through Adam. Now, something I wanna point out right off the bat, because this is important, because some people read the account of Adam and they look at it in an allegorical sense or a metaphoric sense. They say it's symbolic of something else. It's not actual or real. Paul obviously did not believe that. Paul references Adam in this event as a real thing. He's not like trying to convince you that it's real. He's simply just repeating what Genesis 2 and 3 says, which shows that he believed those were actual real people and that was a real historical event that happened. Now, one might say if they know that event, well, why is Adam getting the blame? Because isn't it Eve that's tricked or deceived by Satan into taking the fruit and eating it that she wasn't supposed to and then give it to Adam. Well, God's word tells us that Eve was tricked or deceived into disobeying the Lord. 1 Timothy 2.14 tells us, and it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived and sin was the result. Okay, so she was tricked she was deceived, the difference being Adam, he disobeyed what God explicitly told him not to do in Genesis 2, 16 through 17, all right? So God gave him the command. God said to him, you can eat whatever you want, but not this one thing, and so he knowingly sinned. He basically knew exactly what he was doing when he took that fruit that God had said, don't do this, and he did it anyways, there being a difference between somebody unknowingly doing wrong because they don't know God's word, or they have a partial or incorrect understanding of it, which is the case with Eve here, or in Genesis 3, in lieu of somebody that actually knows what God has said and chooses to disobey it anyways, which was the case with Adam. And so, as such, Adam is the one that made that choice to sin knowingly, and he's responsible for the fall of mankind. And when you hear that, and you understand as we're going through this chapter, all of the different consequences that have come for all of us because of that, you might say, well, that just sucks. Why am I facing the repercussions for this hot mess of a guy named Adam, all right? Well, if we really think about it, there is no way in this world that you could have done any better of a job than Adam in the world we live in today. Just think about it, all right? Because Adam had only one rule to follow, right? One, you can do, eat whatever you want, do whatever you want, don't do this, okay? He also lived in a perfect, untainted garden with everything anyone could ever want or need in a perfect relationship with God. And what did he still choose to do? Disobey. So when we look at that and we say, well, I could have done a better job with him, it's kind of like you duck fans, all right? Watching your football team get dominated by Oregon State last year who came back from being 21 down to win in the second half and sitting there saying, oh man, these guys are horrible. I could have done better than them, all right? Now, the Ducks certainly were not better than the Beavers on that day, okay? But let's be real. There's no 
way any of us could have played football better than those duck athletes, okay? So in a similar way, Adam was humanity's best chance at living a sinless life, and he got beat in the Garden of Eden, and there's no way we could have done any better. And if you disagree with that statement, here's my challenge to you. Try to go a few days without losing your temper or saying, thinking a bad thought or losing it with your kids or being impatient or, or anything else that the Bible says is wrong and therefore is sin. Just try doing it. You can't, right? It's impossible, okay? So, that's the first consequence. You know, sin came into the world through Adam. Second consequence, if you guys want to write this down, is given in verse 12. And that is death entered the world, okay? And that death spread to all men or all people. So God warned Adam back in Genesis 2, 16 through 17. He said, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. And so, because of Adam's failure to listen to God, Adam and the rest of humanity became subject to first, physical death, morality. That wasn't God's original intent, but through sin, that opened us up to morality or, or, or mortality, I should say. Like, basically, the fact that we can die physically. And then the greater consequence, which was spiritual death or separation from God, because God being perfectly just cannot be in the presence of injustice or sin without him immediately judging it, okay? So physical death and spiritual death, that entered into the world. As Paul says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Now here's something I want you to note. Notice that he doesn't say sins, plurally. He says sin because he's referencing Adam's sin as it led to death for all because it led to all being sinners. So the wages of sin is death. As soon as Adam sinned, that just basically led to the destiny of all of us to be sinners, okay? And that may sound odd to us because we live in a society that kind of teaches, well, just do your own thing and as long as you're good and you're responsible for your only your own actions. But since we all share in Adam's genetic makeup or have inherited the same sinful nature he had, we're all born sinners. And it's no different than your kids uh, inheriting your genetic things, like your blue eyes or your blonde hair or whatever. It's the same type of thing. We inherited it all from Adam, that sinfulness. And therefore, we're all subject to death, which is connected to or a consequence of sin. Verse 12 telling us that death spread to all people since we are all Sinners, or basically, if you want to argue with the fact that you're not born a sinner, you lost that battle as soon as you sinned. You know, the fact that you're a sinner proves that, that you are, or the, the fact that you sin proves that you're a sinner, and that proves that you're deserving of death. Our sinfulness being proven by our mortality, or the fact that we're all subject to death from the moment we are conceived, even before we're actually able to physically commit a sin in life. And David understood this. As David says in Psalm 51.5, for I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. And if you need further proof that we're all born with a sinful nature, just have children, okay? Because nobody 
has ever had to teach their child how to do bad things, right? From the earliest age, you see their selfish and aggressive and violent nature, right? From a baby, okay? It's ingrained in a child. Now, some might say they don't believe in Adam or they might not believe what the Bible has to say about sin, but they can't say they don't believe in death because here's the thing, 100 out of 100 people die, okay? Death exists for everyone to see with the exception of a few people that God raptured or caught up and didn't, didn't make die or didn't allow them not to die. And then Jesus Christ who died but was resurrected or conquered death, which in fact, one of the things that proved was he was sinless because he didn't deserve death. And that only something that the son of God was able to do. But all that to say is our mortality is really all the proof a person should need to know that you are in fact a sinner that needs a savior in your life. That is one of the proofs God has given us is that we're all gonna die, okay? And so that's the reason for that is not to scare you, but it's to show you that you need to be saved from that death, which Jesus came to do for you, amen? And we're gonna see that as we go on. So verse 13, it says, for sin indeed was in the world, before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, another reason we know we're born sinners because of Adam and not because we've broken the law is because God's word clearly shows that sin and death were in the world before the law was ever even Given. If you look at all the people in the Old Testament between Adam and Moses, Moses being whom God gave the law, and there's quite a many people listed there between them, all right, with exception to Enoch, whom God caught up to be with him while he was still alive, every other person listed in there dies, right? This is before the law came into existence. They all died. Now, did they die because of their sin or because they broke the law? That's not a hard question. Huh? No. <laughs> no, that, it, that, it wasn't a yes, no question. So if the law wasn't given yet, they couldn't have died because they broke the law. They died because they were born sinners, right? Because they had born, inherited that sinful nature from Adam as there was no law to break yet, which was different then Adam's transgression or uh, sin, as verse 14 says, because again, remember, he was explicitly told by God not to do something and he did it anyways. He was given the law, if you will. He was given a command and he broke it. But all these other people were not given the law yet, yet they still sinned, which proves that they were sinners because of their nature, not because there was a law given that they were breaking. Amen? Now, Here's something important with that that I want to point out. There's some doctrines out there that are associated with what uh, I've heard referred to as old earth theology. The idea of evolution falls into that category, and they teach that there were millions of years of life on this earth before Adam and Eve came into existence. And here's the biggest issue I have with any of those theologies that teach that, is that if they teach death existed before Adam 
then that directly contradicts what the Bible says. So if you hear a theology that tries to explain which dinosaurs, I believe dinosaurs are real, I don't believe they were before Adam. Because if you're going to believe in all this life that died before Adam, that's directly contradictory to what the word says here. So they don't go together, and therefore I can't believe it. Understand? Something to note, all right? We let the word define what we believe, and when we see a conflict, then that, that, that theology, that doctrine can't be right, okay? So Paul goes on to tell us in verse 14 that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. What, if you've never heard that before, that like a type, what that is is he was a picture or a representation of Jesus before Jesus was actually born and lived in this world. So what that does is it ties the Old Testament with the New Testament. I still remember when my pastor, the, the founding pastor of this church, told me to read the Old Testament through the lens of understanding that it all points to Jesus in some way, and that just opened up a whole nother world of the Bible to me. So it's important to understand that. So what he's saying is Adam was a type. He, he was symbolic. He was a picture of Jesus because both of them initially were sinless. Jesus stayed sinless. Adam didn't, but they both initially were sinless. And both of them did things that had lasting effects on all of humanity. Adam's leading to death and Jesus' leading, Jesus's actions leading to resurrected life, as we're going to see in the following verses. So it says in verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more, or to an even greater degree, have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So Adam's trespass or sin had consequences for all of mankind, and the fallout was death for many, as verse 15 tells us. But in contrast, through Jesus, all of mankind has been offered a much greater free gift, not only freedom from all the consequences of Adam's mess up, but also uh, through Jesus, we're also offered grace of God. The, the grace of God to be shown to us in our lives, all right? The first Adam let us down as sin caused problems and pain for us, but the last Adam, which is what 1 Corinthians 15.45 refers to Jesus as, um, he saved us from sin and its consequences, and instead, he says, I'm gonna heap undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor of God upon you through your faith in me, Amen. That's why it says much more. It's, it's the much better thing, you know, like what happened with Adam, that was horrible. But what happens through Jesus is so much bigger and better, amen? And he's really trying to contrast this in this chapter. If you're thinking like, wow, he's being really hard on Adam. He's just like laying it to him. Well, that's because he's showing if this much badness or this much horribleness in your life could come through uh, one man's mistake, man, how much more goodness can come through the Son of God coming through for you and saving you, amen? All right, verse 16. And it says, the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. So third consequence of Adam's sin is given here in verse 16, and that is condemnation entered the world. All right, condemnation, the definition of that is uh, the action of condemning someone to punishment 
or sentencing. So through Adam's sin, we've all been condemned to basically death, or which is punishment for our sin. And again, for the person that would say, well, that isn't fair, or that just doesn't really make any sense, that's illogical, that one man's mess up would lead to so much destruction for all people. And what I would challenge you on is that happens all the time. Anytime some terrorist decides to go blow up a building or some crazy dictator decides to start a war, there's tons of destruction. There's tons of innocent people that die, and it's all because of that one person's foolishness, right? So it's kind of exactly what happened when Adam bombed the one test God gave him, okay? And Paul goes on to say in verses 16 through 17, just as we can be certain that Adam's sin has condemned us all to death, even to a greater degree, we can be certain that faith in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins will resurrect us back to life. Just as the sin of one man was inherited by everybody, the blood of one man is able to save everybody. And through Jesus' sacrifice, justification of our many sins, as verse 16 says, many sins. It was one sin that led to death for all of us, but just through Jesus, justification came for many sins in our lives, all of them, or we're able, and because of that, we're able to be forgiven just as if we had no sin. That's the idea with justification. Amen? All right. And it's, it, it, the way to kind of look at this is that it's as if Adam and Jesus are two different kings reigning over two different kingdoms in this world. And we're all born without any choice into Adam's kingdom where death reigns because of the sin we've inherited from him. But all of us can choose to be saved from that death and experience life in being a part of Jesus's kingdom through receiving him as your Lord and savior. And in return, he's gonna give you this free gift of being righteous or that what that means is right in God's eyes which will allow you to receive an abundance of God's grace or favor in your life, as verse 17 says, which will change you from being positionally righteous, like through the blood of Jesus, God sees you and you're right, to practically righteous as he changes you for the better, getting rid of the bad things in your life and replacing them with the good things of God. Amen? Amen. All right? And the, the reality is this choice is everyone's. This choice is yours. And really, it shouldn't be a choice at all right? It's a no-brainer. We should receive the gift that Jesus has offered us, okay? And it says in verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Now, there's two categories of people identified in verse 18. And every person in all of history finds himself in one of these categories. There is no middle ground, Okay, it's one or the other. We're all born with an identity in Adam and you prove that identity with the first sin and all the other sins that you did after that. And that identity leads to one thing, condemnation or death or punishment for that sin. But we all have the opportunity to be born again. All right, you're born into that kingdom of Adam. You're born identifying with Adam but you all have the opportunity to be born again by choosing to identify with Jesus. And that identity involves being justified of your sins so you can, give, so you can live with him for all eternity. Now, 
It's important to note, one thing I want you to note by what what Paul's saying here in verse 18, because some people mistakenly read this the wrong way. It's not saying that all people in this world are automatically saved because of Jesus's work on the cross, all right? What that's called is universalism. And the idea is they take this verse that says, so one act of righteousness leads to justification of life for all men, and they don't include the rest of the Bible that says that's a choice you have to make. It's a gift. And just as I was giving you a gift, you have the choice to receive it or not, but you have to make that choice, okay? And so it's not saying that just because he died, everyone's forgiven of their sin. That forgiveness of your sins is available to anyone and everyone, but you have to receive that free gift. Paul talks about this in Romans 10, 9 through 13, one of the many places it's talked about where he says, if, and that if means it's a choice, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. And he goes on in verse 13 to say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. That, that, that opportunity is there, but you have to choose to receive it. Amen? goes on in verse 19, and it says this, For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So the fourth and final consequence of Adam's sin being given here, and that is sin is continually present in your life without intervention. Okay? Sin, you're a sinner until... God intercedes on your behalf, okay? Just as some babies are born addicted to drugs because of their mother's wrong actions during pregnancy and will continue to be addicted to drugs without intervention by somebody to save them, we aren't only born sinners because of Adam's sin, but we will continue to sin. And the reason sin is talked about so much is because it's so bad. It leads to death. But in between death and that sin, there's all these negative consequences that are working towards that ultimate fate of death, all right? So, again, until you don't want to stay a sinner. That's what God's saving you from. Greg did a great example of teaching how we're saved by grace through faith, and it's not by our works. But that's not a license to go on and keep sinning. God saved you from that sin because you'd be crazy to keep doing what you were born with in nature, and you couldn't help but doing because you're destroying yourself. And God loved you so much that he intervened so you wouldn't keep destroying yourself and you wouldn't keep harming other people. And when we get that, what we've been saved from, we want to do what God says. When we see that love demonstrated for us, we see all the goodness God's given us through Jesus Christ. We want to do what God says. Amen? And then he helps us do it. Over time, he teaches us. Okay? So, but we need that intervention. We need someone to come and save us. And that is what Jesus has offered us. And since one man's actions, that being Adam, was responsible for us becoming sinners, we can also be made righteous through the actions of another man, that being Jesus. Because basically, here's the thing. If you had to stand for yourself before God and give an account of your life and prove to him how you were perfectly right in everything you did, guess what? I would fail. I would fail. 
Romans 3.23, Paul tells us, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standing. We would all fail. So our only hope in being saved was for a sinless person to stand in on our behalf, which Jesus was the only one capable of doing that because he was God. He was equal with God. That allowed him to live a sinless life. And it was fair or just for him to act on our behalf in that way because another person put us in this mess by his actions, acting on our behalf. Amen? All right. Verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in the prior chapter of Romans, Paul's already made it clear that you cannot justify yourself by the law. You can't look at the law and say, I'm going to follow this perfectly and make myself right before God. He's saying, that's impossible. Nobody can do it. You're always going to fail in some way, and you're always going to be guilty of breaking the law. And in the text today, he made it clear that the law itself is not what makes us sinners, but rather we're sinners because we're born that way through Adam's sin and inheriting that sinful trait, okay? So that leaves us with the question, what purpose does the law serve? Paul tells us here in verse 20 that the law makes the magnitude of our sin easier for us to see. Let's say I had two diamonds. I had one diamond that was very imperfect, and I had one diamond that was very perfect, okay? If you held those diamonds side by side up to the sun, you would see clearly the imperfections of that flawed diamond, okay? Now, in like manner, the law is God's holy standard for what makes a person righteous or right with him. And when we compare ourselves and our actions up to God's law, it becomes very apparent that we are all greatly flawed. Our trespasses increase, as verse 20 says. And in addition to that, the law makes my sin increase, as verse 20 says, because it exposes my sinful nature by drawing a line between what's right and what's wrong. And what happens when I'm giving a line not to cross, or I'm told not to do something? Not well, to tell do. me. I remember increase. Through Jesus, God is able to show his grace to an even greater degree, as verse 20 says, because as I become more apparent of how sinful I am, with that, I also become more aware of how forgiving God is. Because all those sins I'm guilty of, he has forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's truly amazing, because you would expect if our sin increases, what the, the right thing for God to do would be to increase his anger and judgment along with that. As the law exposes how wicked I am, I deserve more judgment. I deserve more punishment. But because of God's great love, instead of wrath, his grace abounds all the more, as verse 20 says. And what that truly, what this means, what this means, and this is so significant to understand, is you truly can't out the grace of God. No matter how good you are at sinning, God is so much greater at saving or it's literally impossible to sin more than God can forgive you. And the only way you can miss out on that grace is by saying you don't want it, that you'd rather take your chances 
and just go about it on your own, which it'd be a horrible decision for any of us to make. Amen? So as the worship team comes up here, I just want to leave you with a couple thoughts. One of the things I was really talking about in the beginning was the fact that it's, we can understand this stuff in our heads, but it's a whole nother thing to try to live it out in our lives. But God's telling us this, not so we just say amen and write it down in our Bibles and underline it, but so we really understand it and we can live in the, the blessing, the happiness that comes with applying these things in our lives. And this is another section of Romans where Paul is really trying to help you understand following Jesus is not about being a good person. Because you know why? You're not a good person. You're only good because of God. You know something that became apparent at kids camp that really just broke my heart and had me praying for these kids? One of our counselors was saying that they were asking their kids one evening, um, what, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? And one answered, oh, it means reading my Bible. Oh, it means you know, going to church. Oh, it means you know, doing good things to other people. And what became very apparent was some of these kids thought that like, that's what it means to follow Jesus. Just be a good person, do good things. They were totally oblivious to the fact that God loves them and wants a relationship with them. And that yes, he will make you good, but you need that relationship with him, that closeness with him, that love and that fellowship so that you can experience his goodness in your life and you can allow him to lead you into the good things he has for you. But that's not, it's not the other way around. It's not being a good person. That God saved you because as with Adam and Eve, he created us to have a relationship with him. He loves you. He wants to personally be involved in your life, intimate, like no other relationship in your life. And it's through that, like, if we're just coming to God as a worker, that's going to become very tiring and very disappointing. But when we understand what God's done for us, despite us not deserving it all, hopefully you don't come to him as a worker, but as a worshiper. And that is where God can really do the greatest work in you and through you. Because I look at it this way, like in my relationships in life, like my wife, like I worship my wife, not like in an idol type way, but I just, I know that I married up and I don't deserve her and I love her so much. Like I, she, I have a trust with her that I don't have with anyone else. I, I, a closeness, a unity, she's my best friend. And, and so I don't need to be told to like listen to what she has to say to me. I know that it's always with best interest of mine because I know how much she loves me. And I want to do the things that she says. And that's the type of relationship God wants. He wants us to be a worshiper, to understand how much he loves you, that what he has for you is so much better. And he saved you to, to experience those things. And some of us might've come here today maybe being invited from somebody, and this is all new to you. You don't even know who Jesus is. You don't know who God is. You're trying to figure these things out. But my guess is you come from the same place as most of us before we experienced Jesus, before we started learning about him in his word, where we all have this inclination to be good people. We wanna be good people. And so we try to do good things in our lives to, to accomplish that. 
Everyone in this world with some degree would probably say that. Even if we've done bad things, we try to outdo those bad things with good things. We try to replace them because we feel condemnation over those bad things we've done. We feel guilty. Well, here's the thing that this sets you free from. No matter how hard you try, you're not good. That's why you do bad things. So you're wasting your time in trying to be a good person without God because you can't do it. You need Jesus to come into your life and change your heart. You need him. As soon as you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you repent. You turn from your sin. You turn towards him. You invite him into your life. You acknowledge what he did for you on that cross so you're forgiven of your sin. God puts his spirit inside of you to change you, to regenerate you. You're born again with this desire to follow God and do what he says. And then the Holy Spirit's called a helper because you need his help to do that. You can't do it on your own. You can't be good. Only God is good. And he comes inside of you to help you be good because he wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be happy. So you can stop trying to be a good person because what this makes clear, the section we're in today is you were born a bad person. You will stay that way until God is in your life. And in being set free of being a bad person, you're truly gonna experience the life you're really trying to achieve that you can't in anything else in this world, only in Jesus Christ. For those of us who have been saved, we tend to gravitate back to that. We start thinking, I'm gonna be a good Christian. I'm gonna do this, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna read my Bible every day, I'm gonna go to church. All those things are good. God tells us those are ways we grow. Those are the ways we stay close to him so he can do the work in us. They're not what makes you good with God. You were as bad as you could ever be with God without Jesus, and with Jesus, you're as good as you could ever be. And every single one of us is the same, which levels the playing field. This helps us in the way we view other people properly too, because we understand if they haven't placed their faith in Jesus, they don't know no better. They just need Jesus like we did to understand their sinfulness, and they need him to save them from it. And as Christians, what it does is, if I look at you and think that, oh, I'm a better Christian than you because I do this, I'm, that's a misunderstanding of grace. There is no such thing. Yes, some of us have visible sin that we're working out in our lives, but I'm not better than you because I don't do the things you do and you're no better than me because you don't do the things I do. We're all a work in progress. But in God's eyes, we're all the same. And we're all striving for that sanctification. God's sanctifying us. He's, he's setting us apart. He's changing us. And we all want that. And we go to God to help us with it. But there's nobody better than anyone else in here. We're all equal. And it sets us free from trying to be better or trying to live up to people's standards. Man, we just go to God. We go to our Father. We ask him to help us. And that frees us and, and helps us in so many relationships in life because you, I mean, let's be honest. You know why you have problems with your spouse? Because they're a sinner. And, I, and when I say that, I want to be clear on this because I know people, some people experience, I mean, there, there's real reasons for like things like separation, sometimes divorce because people are abusive or they've, they've you know, had some sort of, they, they've cheated on them or adulteries. There's, there's exceptions in the Bible. I'm not trying to cover all that. I'm just saying that the moment you get married and you start living with someone, a lot of the times I'll, I'll do after marriage counseling with people and they're like, yeah, I didn't know they were like this. I didn't know they were like this. I didn't. And I'm like, oh, you didn't know they were a sinner? I'm like, that's why God had you guys get married because now you get this opportunity to grow with each other, to help each other in grace. Or we see that in our kids, right? Why are my kids doing this? I remember my in-laws came to live with me for a couple of years. Love them, I'm not saying anything bad. But 
right away, they're just like, man, your, your kids. And I'm like, oh, you thought they were perfect because you weren't around them all the time. Well, yeah, they're sinners. But they're also like 13 and young. You're like 60-something. What's your excuse? <laughs> it's like, I mean, seriously. It's like, yeah, when you're around somebody all the time, you realize real quick they're a work in progress. But when we understand that, it helps us approach them differently. It helps us show grace. It helps us pray for them. It helps us encourage them in the things God's trying to work out with them. Like we, we want to help them experience the blessing of God. We don't want to come down on them because we have our own things. We want them to help us with as God's growing in us. Amen? So many benefits of understanding this. And it really, like, like Paul says, like, Grace abounds more. When you understand how wretched and wicked you are, you really start to understand, God, I just can't believe that you would save somebody as horrible as me. Man, I was the worst of all sinners, just like Paul said, but you saved me. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for what you've brought me from in my life, and I just want to go wherever you're leading. Because I know, I know enough to know that it's for my best, it's with my best interest mind. It's better than anything I, I've experienced without you in my life, and I just want to go with you. That's revival. That's where revival comes from. Revival starts with you first, and it's just that surrender and submittedness to God because you know he loves you so much, and he only has good things for you, and you just, it's like you're tapping out. Like, I, I give you my life. You bought it, but I, I'm going to give it to you willingly. I'm, I'm a bondservant. Because I just want to go wherever you're leading. I want to do whatever you want. Help me do it, Lord. So we're going to have an opportunity to do that right now. I don't know what category you fall in. There were a whole lot there mentioned. But you know how the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now. That conviction you feel, that voice you're hearing in your head, that's God. And that's because he wants to do a work in you right now. So you leave here, as Paul says, renewed no longer conformed to the world, changed to be like Jesus. And, it, and this is our opportunity to humble ourselves and respond to that. We're gonna have our prayer team around the room and that's an ultimate act of humility to come up to a brother or sister who's not looking down on you because we all have our struggles, like I said, we're not any better, but and be honest with them and say, man, I need prayer for this. The Lord is really ministering to me and he showed me this and can you pray with me? Usually when I humble myself before my brothers and sisters, it helps me humble myself with God. Ultimately, that's who we want to humble ourselves to so that he can help us. And if we're just willing to ask, if we're just willing to acknowledge, respond, God is right here to start that help right now. Amen? Don't miss out on that opportunity. Maybe you're the person that came today that's been trying to be a good person in your understanding. I, I, I just can't do it. I need Jesus. I need to be forgiven of my sin you can come up and get prayer and we'll lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Like I said, there's no gray. There's no middle ground. You're either a part of the kingdom of Adam or you're identifying with Adam as you're born into that without any choice or right now you have the choice to be born again and be a part of Jesus's kingdom, which is gonna last for all eternity, amen? Don't wait till tomorrow because you don't know what tomorrow holds and you only get that choice in this life. Make sure you make it before you leave here, amen? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the grace that has been shown to us. 
Lord, we truly are helpless apart from you. We understand, if we're being honest, our wickedness, that no matter how hard we try, we can't be good in ourselves. And, and Lord, we acknowledge we need your help. We're so thankful that you made a way where we could have never made one by sending your son to die on that cross in our place for our sins so we could be forgiven of it and reconciled to you. And we rejoice in the fact of the grace that you've shown us every day of our lives and changing us for the better. And we acknowledge we want to continue to be changed. We need your help. So meet us in this moment right now. In Jesus' name, amen.